show sounds very personal. Yes, it's called Cara Josephine. Although it's it's sort of this is the last showing of this show. Oh. Like Sunday's going to be the last performance. Yeah. Unless anyone else is like put put it on. How many of these? How do you, do you know the exact number that you've done? Um, give me a second. I can try okay. and work it out for you. I did. Um, so I did a few previews, but mm. I don't know whether they count. Yeah. I, 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 I'm going to say they don't to make it seem that I've done fewer. I'm just going to say how many, like, beginning to end, how many times have you have you done this show? Even from the very start of the inception of it? The, yeah, well, insofar as it resembles what it is now. Okay, so I probably did 30 previews. Yeah. Wow. 25 in Edinburgh. Yeah. Five or six in London. Okay, so... Two more in London, so okay, that's... About 60-ish. 60, yeah. Yeah. Then I did a tour that was, I think, about 40 dates Mm -hmm. in the UK. Then I did um, 15 dates in Australia. Then I did... uh, I feel like I did more after that, but I can't remember. We're almost approaching the double digits at this point. Yes, Or triple digits, sorry. And then I did um, 10 more in Europe recently. Yeah. I've done about 10 here. And I've done one in Los Angeles in my friend's house. (laughs) <laughs> because I wanted my friend to see the show, <laughs> so I was like, huh? and, "And it's, but it's, it's, it's more or less the same thing. It's like it's a show, show. Yeah, yeah. But I like to think it's getting better. Yeah. Like I, I definitely, I was so excited yesterday. I thought of a new joke, like a tiny little extra add-on, and I was like, yes. Isn't that the ultimate bummer though? Now that you've got like three or four left in the run, yeah. Now it's you're finally refining refining it. Yes, it's heartbreaking. Or do you are you recording it for posterity at this point? Oh, I did record it. That's three more performances I did. Oh, I did a warm up and two. But now it's so much better. Yeah. Yeah. Now I want to go back and just put a little note on the DVD that would yeah. be like, at this point there were two further laughs that you have been deprived. You should do like like deleted scenes, like extras, where you just add jokes in. Oh, you can like splice that. jokes into. The- do you know my friend? I've got a friend called David O'Doherty, who's a stand-up from Ireland. Mm-hmm. And when we first started doing stand-up, um, we were in. Um, sorry, I'm just drinking a Theraflu, but we were in. Um, also, my hand really stinks because the washing up cloth, I think, is mouldy. And it smells like unsavoury. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, he did his best. You probably don't have a cold if you can smell the mouldy on your hand. That's now, true. So that's a, that's a positive. I just have mildew poisoning mm-hmm. of the lung. Yeah. <laughs> Some sort of fungal infection. Oh, it's sad, isn't it? Um, oh, yeah. Sorry. My friend David, when we first started doing comedy we did new act competitions together mm-hmm. and I remember in his first five minutes that he had he would do about four and then he would say oh, that's the end of my show but um, that's the end of my five minutes but I've got a few deleted scenes yeah. from it yeah. and then he would do a bit where he'd start telling one of his jokes and he'd just like drop his trousers and be like oh no my trousers fell down or like he'd start saying it and then deliberately say the wrong thing and be like oh which is I always thought was really funny because it sort of gives that five minute set this amazing credence sure. of like this is the good. You've seen the good stuff. Yeah. Here's the here's the garbage. But here's also, it's like five minutes is enough to have its own little mythology around yeah. it. You know, it's yeah, amazing. Or chapters, or mm. so so. How does how, how does this differ than just doing sort of like just like an hour of stand up? Um, it's definitely a narrative thing. Yeah. It. Um, I don't know. I always feel like if you're writing shows for the Fringe, the culture there, like at the Edinburgh Fringe, is quite um, 
you've got to bring a show you know mm-hmm. you've got to bring mm-hmm. something that feels like it goes on a journey or mm-hmm. feels like it's like doing something to people you feel like people feel ripped off if they go to yeah. just a regular stand-up show yes yeah. i mean not everyone and sometimes people will do stuff that's like just purely silly gags yeah. or whatever but quite often with stand-up what i really want is for something to have a good sure. narrative thread that takes me somewhere and changes things or messes you around or something so i, I like to think that this is kind of like a proper thing that has structure and journeys and like repeating and and actually just tells a story of my life as opposed to like another thing is this oh my least favorite thing is when people go what else was i gonna tell you about and i'm like ah is is that is that a cultural thing is that just an edinburgh thing that that they want the 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 narrative rather than just a bunch of jokes yeah i think it really is i think it's definitely like the more i sort of travel about the more i see that that culture breeds people writing yeah. those type of shows and in lots of places they don't really do that you know they might you might write a one person show but you probably would have your set that you would perform to people that's a that's a good challenge though i mean that, that actually in, in a way i mean you know it's 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 sort of a cliche to say but setting these kind of the, these artificial constraints on yourself mm. probably makes it easier for you to figure out jokes based on that experience yes I've, i think so and i think as well like it's yeah good it sets you sets you on a certain course yeah but I, I also think it's this weird pressure as well to like generate loads of material every year because you have to write your new show and it has to be feel like it's you bringing something important. And so, are you just planning on going pretty much every single year for the foreseeable future? Well, I don't know actually because again, it's the same thing. Like I'm coming to the end of this is my seventh yeah. one that I've done, yeah. and I feel a little bit like maybe it might be good for me to do other things sure. or to take some time off because. I don't feel as if nothing big enough has happened in my life. I don't want to like, I feel like in the past I've done these things intentionally or otherwise that have kind of sabotaged my life. And yeah. then it's like, oh, I've got loads to write about. I'm miserable, you know, and I don't really want to do that. And so I, you're too happy and, and content <laughs> to write good comedy material at this mm. point. I don't want to fuck up my love life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think I don't really know anymore. Like it's a really, it's a nice way of, I think, building up your skills as a comedian but what, but what's interesting I mean it sounds like every single year in a way is built around that one show definitely because you write it you take it to the fringe and yeah. then you do a tour all around so for me what I've tended to do is I write it I perform it in Edinburgh I perform it in London I tour it around the UK I tour it around Australia and New Zealand I come back I start writing the next one bang and that's your whole year almost yeah. and um, yeah that's a bit intense really yeah and you're away so much, but also, yeah, it doesn't give you that much time and scope to do as many other things. Well, you, you, I mean, you get out there, you get, you get to see, see the world. Potentially, you've got some material there, but then at the same time, like, <laughs> this is, this is, this actually didn't even really occur to me until right the second. But maybe this is why, uh, you know, airline food jokes have become such a cliche ha, because, like, once you get to that point when you're a touring comedian, this is mm. your experience, right? I mean, your jokes are all about they have to all, all about be about uh, airports and, and hotels. hotels. Yeah, and there's so many jokes about people yeah. in hotels, and and that's like a snake eating its own tail. Like you've got no, you've run out of fun lived experience, yeah. or even sort of. Ways that you feel like, hey, let's talk about our shared experience, guys. And, you know, you can't really do that if you're like, we all know what it's like when you're sure. 
Except sure. if you're a traveling salesman, and then you're like, "Yes, these guys get me." I guess, I guess you know, I guess if you're if you're a comedian's comedian, right? I guess if you're playing if you're playing a show like Edinburgh and playing to other comedians, then you've got a friendly audience potentially. Mm. I mean, at least they, they've got a shared experience. Yeah, but then comedians no, hate things about yeah. airplane food. They'd be <laughs> like, "Ah, oh, what a hack!" Yeah. Oh, tell me something about a haunted fairground or a magical snake oh my god speaking just, of which you just set up the next two years of the show oh my god it'd be so great <laughs> i would totally watch <laughs> a show about a haunted fairground i saw today yeah i was we, me and my boyfriend went swimming in the your atlantic ocean that you have yeah and it was it's great a share, it's a shared ah, ocean. atlantic ocean yeah, yeah. that we have it was uh-huh. cold yep. and i um enjoyed it the second we got out a seagull dived in plucked out this fucking massive sand eel <laughs> like a foot and a half long sand eel that had just been where we were from where we were swimming and like my boyfriend was still in the sea and the the, the girl was like wrestling this eel and swimming towards my boyfriend who was like Aah! it was so terrifying more because I was thinking that beast was just yeah splashing Near around feet beneath you yeah yeah, could have bitten, bitten my Achilles tendon. Are you? Are you? Are, I mean, you know, are, are you constantly thinking about the next, the next show? As are you, as you're sort of out in the world and living, living your life experiences? Are you trying to figure mm-hmm. out what will fit? Yeah, it's pretty bleak <laughs> because you're always like, anything that happens to you, you're like, yeah. can I get five minutes like this? And there's like a comedian's joke of like. Um, you know, someone breaks up with you, and you go, oh, "I'll definitely get five minutes out of this. I'll probably get longer." You got a full show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It was a good start. Is 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 that? Uh, I mean, was was that really the the part of the the coping process as you were going through a breakup? Mm. Is that this will eventually, at some point, manifest itself into a good show? Yeah. Although I, I suppose I wasn't, I wasn't so thinking of like. This will be great. I'll get this stuff from it. <laughs> but I was definitely using stand-up yeah. to process my feelings and to talk about it. And it's something, because I've been doing stand-up since I was a teenager, I really do think it's very densely woven into my life. It is the fabric of my life, yeah. right? You know, it, it happens when you do your accounts every year and you look at your receipts and you're like, everything here I've written about. Yeah. Like everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because you just do. You just talk about what you're up to and, and it's kind of the companion to your life. And, and so in that way... It was. It was almost like it helped me in a way that it hasn't really before. How quickly were you getting up on stage and, and telling those stories? Like a month after. Really? Yeah. Yeah, like a month after. But only really because, by luck, I was taking that... I wasn't doing Edinburgh. I broke up with my ex in 2013 in the July... And then by luck, I wasn't going to Edinburgh the month after. So I had about a month where I did just do adventure sports. Just, just jo- Josie Long cries on stage for an hour. Yeah, it would have been. It would have been awful. Although, actually, I've had to gig. I had to gig the day my grandma died and we were going down to visit her and hmm. we sort of showed up too late, but they didn't tell us. We like went in the room and we saw and she was dead and it was so sad. And I've had breakups where that night, and both of those I'd had to do Edinburgh previews on that night. I, I let's let's back up to the, your 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 grandmother dying that day and you going up on yeah. stage. I mean, what do you you just you compartmentalize? Yeah, you do, and it helps a lot is because it? you get to do something that's nothing to do with your life. Yeah, that is playful and completely immersive. You know, you're you're in the moment. You're thinking of it. You're performing. You're it's like swimming or sleeping or something. You're yeah. not 
you're allowed Muscle some memory. time off from the grief, you know? Yeah. So it's actually kind of amazing. It's interesting. That's, it, it, you know, that's sort of, I guess, the, the difference between doing a... Are you okay? Are you okay? You're holding the teacup up oh, to your head. This okay. is just the thing I love to do. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just getting worried about you. No, it's so nice. You just put the teacup just to your eye and to your neck and it is the nicest thing. I'm sorry. Uh, I, 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 but I, I guess that's, you know, ultimately one of the differences between getting up there and, and, and doing stand-up and doing a really kind of like pre-arranged, pre-set show is you can't... Um, you, you can't really improvise on the spot, right? You can't really necessarily channel what just happened that day you can't maybe work things out in the same way yeah i think definitely but it's sort of there's always that flexibility really mm. like it, the the time you really can't muck about as much is if you are at the edinburgh fringe yeah. and you really want to do you really want to have done your show as a run yeah because then you've only got an hour and if you waste a minute of that, you have to cut. And although I often overrun, and it is a big problem for me in my life and my career, but mm-hmm. um, uh, people, yeah, that's about the only place where it's so rigid. Yeah. But unless your show is a bit of a fuck about, you do get into a problem where you're like, oh, I can't say that today this thing happened. I have to just go bosh wash. But I think quite often, other times, you can you can get away with building yeah. stuff in. And quite often for me. Um, pardon me sorry quite often for me when I get to a um, gig I can't help but be like okay guys I will do the proper stuff but I have to tell you all of this most recent stuff or or if there is something big but funnily when I have been most emotionally devastated I've just kind of not well you can't you can't I mean I, I, I can't imagine you getting up on stage and, and saying my grandmother died yeah. today and here's, here are a few reasons why, why you might find that humorous mm. Mm. Although there's been uh, it's been kind of spread because I had to do a gig the day after the election yeah. in in May this year uh-huh. and we had an election where nobody was expecting the result we got yeah. and it gave this government which is like the most far right government that we've had in I don't even know like fifty years a hundred mm-hmm. years and um, it gave them this mandate that they didn't have before that no yeah. one thought they would have. I think I, I was listening to a, a podcast that you did on the way here and you were talking about your high hopes that Labour would win. Oh. Don't go back and listen to it's pre-election so podcasts. Oh, which one was it? Oh, God. I can't, I, I, uh, might, might have been Lollitics or something. Oh, I think it was um, uh, the co- comedian... What is it? Comics comic? The oh, comic yeah, 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 yeah. 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 But... Uh, but I really but, uh, thought they... Well, I just kind yeah. of... Mm. See, you're. Di- I mean, I, I. You know, I think. I think you're different than me because I. I just always assume the worst possible outcome. Oof. Yeah. Oof. No, but that's a good way to go because then you're. You're either. You know, you, you've either already already kind of accepted it before the fact, or you're pleasantly surprised. But then sometimes you need to advocate for and hope for the best possible outcome yeah. to try and help the best possible possible outcome to come like if i spend all of my time especially on stage being like well there's no fucking point they'll get in with that i don't think anyone would go i'm going to start an activist group, sure you know sure well there's a difference between saying there's no there's no point and just saying uh, oh absolutely so you know maybe we I'm should not work, like maybe um, we should work against that because i think terrible things are on the horizon oof yeah, oh. yeah 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 there's definitely more than one way to skin a cat but 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 you know i, I mean I, I, obviously that's a different example uh, a national election you know, I'm, you know, it will it will affect your life in some way, but it's different than dealing with a very personal thing. But I don't know. I was no. crying all yeah. day, and it. But you're right. Uh, yeah, no, you are right. 
I just but, but felt also it, like you it know, it felt like a personal insult yeah. to me from the country. But, but it was like, you know, oh, everyone hates not me. everybody in the audience knew your grandmother, but everybody in the audience has something invested in that election. That's true. Well, yes. Although the gig I had to do was in France, so it was a, so it was mm-hmm. almost like. Yeah, but you are right. Like yeah. you're, you're right. You can share communal grief sure. in a nicer way. That yeah. yeah, that's true. And it is quite nice sometimes. Like I did a gig a couple of days after the election, and the guy had booked it. I think because he thought the Labour Party were going to win, mm-hmm. and it was called Days of Hope. <laughs> and it was all these people who were like had been campaigning, yeah. kind of. And I wasn't really campaigning for the Labour Party before the election. Although I would do now because the new leader I really like. But um, I was a bit like tepid about them because I was like, they just keep voting for things that are demonising people and stuff. But um, it was all these people. And I think the point was supposed to be like, guys, we're free. Let's live on. (laughs) And all of us were just sat around the sides like... Uh, and then we had to all go on stage and be like, okay, um, here's a reason to be hopeful. Um, we're all here yeah. and uh, none of us are dead, are we? And, uh, it was, and it was grim to see people trying yeah. really hard to pretend that they had more optimism than they did. Was, was there ever any, any question, you know, after, um, after dealing with the breakup that that is something you were going to... Ex- I mean, obviously stand-up and comedy have been a big part of your life forever but was there any question about whether you would explore something so personal in front of everybody yeah I was really worried about it I was nervous and it did feel very weird and vulnerable and wrong a lot of the time trying to talk about it because I'd never really talked about my love life on stage I'd never talked about my family and even then I've been so guarded like there's been things I would love to talk about on stage but I think it's going to take a while before I'm like able to do so. Like I just have to be kind of euphemistic about things mm-hmm. that happen in my family as opposed to sort of being really clear. For fear that it'll get back to them? Yeah. 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 And wanting to sort of protect them even though... Yeah. And so it's, it was really tricky. And, and it went from going, you know, writing shows about politics where I could be so categorical and could be really like fuck that and good for this and 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 to feeling like I had to approach it in this kind of new like not necessarily nuanced but like soft yeah. way like try it in a soft way come back and and when it really dies it's felt more painful yeah. because it's like oh you you hate me you hate my soul yeah and then as well but I think what's interesting as well like two things have happened one of them is I now don't feel the slightest bit I think now it's it's kind of opened a floodgate and I think now <laughs> I would just talk about my personal life and whatever. But the other one is that I feel oddly guilty and worried and it brings up odd emotions in ways you can't predict. Yeah. So, like, to begin with, I was just feeling about my breakup. Then I started really, really having feelings about the relationship I had years ago that I talk about on stage feeling really intense and I, I think it was partly because I've just wasn't really getting over it really and so it was forced me to get over it in my life by talking about it on stage and then I had a lot of feelings where I felt guilty about talking about my mum or guilty about talking about my sister <laughs> even though they I think they're quite loving really it's just a tricky subject matter I suppose especially my sister it really is like a love letter to her but yeah I was really frightened and I still am because I have to talk it through with her because we're going to release it on DVD and I'm worried she'll think that I'm somehow taking the piss out of her when yeah. actually I'm just kind of celebrating how much I love her 
So they haven't they haven't actually seen the show yet. No, <laughs> because partly because my mum lives in Tenerife, mm-hmm. so it's harder for her. Yeah. But my sister's got a little baby, and so she's never yeah. really able to come. So do you discuss it all beforehand? Well, I have mentioned to my sister that I talk about her. Yeah, and she seems that's, such, that's such a sort of abstract thing. Yeah. I, oh, yeah, I mean, you talk. Well, isn't the, the, the show is named after your niece, right? Yeah. yeah. And it is a bit about... Like, yeah, I've said to my sister, like, I say that you did this, and I say that you said this. Yeah. I don't know how much you'll... I just... I hope she'll like it. Like, it's frightening. But it's one of these things that, like... Oh, oh just dropped my drugs. boyfriend's uh, sleeping tablets <laughs> that he's bought. I just bought... I just... Um, it's one of those things where, like, 10 years ago, people could really get away with just chatting about anything yeah. on stage. And unless they were, like, a TV star talking about it mm-hmm. on TV... Mm-hmm their family might not really even know about it. Like, before YouTube, basically. And my problem is my mum follows me really, really avidly on Facebook since she retired, which kind of scares me, because I'm like, I don't need you to know everything I'm doing in my career. I have not accepted my mother's friend request. I know. So clever. But she'll follow... If you do any, like, fan pages, she'll follow those. Unfortunately, I don't have enough fans to have a fan page, so we're fine. <laughs> well, you watch out because yeah. this is all in the bank. That's true. And the more it builds, you're right. This is just in the world now, yeah. forever. She'll hear this. <laughs> she'll be like, "I heard you turn me down on Facebook." You oh, she knows. We've we've had have conversations. You about it? Yeah, we've talked about That's it. That's a better family relationship yeah. than I have. I think. Yeah, I don't know. I feel weird about it. Yeah, you're right too. It's she, completely she's wrong. She's friends with about three or four of my exes at this point. My mum yeah. is too. So wrong. My mum sort of sent a really nice message to my ex <laughs> the other week, and I was like, "Ah, no, no." Don't do that. It's not right. What what is what is do, do you talk do you speak with your ex at all? Uh yeah, I've sort of I've sort of broken a kind of a uh, <laughs> detente. Okay. It's fine. Yeah. Like you won't you won't bomb each other's bases. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We've got a clear trench. Yeah. And we're sort of chatty. I, I I don't know. I just think it's not he's not somebody that I'm like desperate to sort of have loads in my life, I guess. Yeah, well I guess I'm just uh, you know, from from the standpoint of like this is the show. I mean, this yeah. is a big part of what you talk about on yeah. stage. I mean, he, at the very least, at this point, must know that there is a thing in the world <laughs> that's about, about him. It. Yeah, and it's dis- it's frightening because he's a songwriter. And oh, no. Yeah, when we yeah. first got together, I yeah. think I had this romantic idea that he would write all these nice songs yeah. about me and him. Not only did he not do that, we had a miserable time. And then now I think he's he's written his new album and just looking at some of the titles yep. of the songs I'm like oh cool, cool. I, had the, I had the same <laughs> I dated a song no! for a while and she uh, I, I, <laughs> this is obviously a number of years ago I visited MySpace page immediately after and I was like that oh, that one's no, about me no. but you know this this I think this speaks to your show a little bit I mean you weren't going up on stage and talking about what a what a beautiful relationship you had no it's true it, it's not you know I, I don't know that that's necessarily conducive to good comedy nor is it probably conducive to a good record that's true although i i think i was remarkably restrained talking about mm. this guy because again like i think i could have I, I don't know whether i ever would or would want to be like he's dick but like i actually all i do is i say i got my heart broken yeah. i say i was miserable and then i say why did i stay in it and then i describe a thing he did that was very cool so actually i feel like he got off quite lightly yeah you know, and so I'm not really looking forward to it. I'm trying to just get into my head the idea that I might always avoid 
listening if he has written any songs where he's bitchy about me. I mean, to be honest, he might not have bothered. He might just be being bitchy about someone else. It wouldn't really wouldn't uh, surprise me. Were, were you trying? Were you try, were you purposefully trying to spare his feelings, or did you just not want to go into the details? I think I just didn't want to go into the details. And I think also what I like about stand up is it is really all about you. Yeah. It's nice. Sure. You know, so even with like talking about my mum and my sister, I'm really talking about how I feel and how I feel about them and what my life has been like. It's not really them. It's just like my friend, um, my friend, Mark, there's a guy called Mark Thomas who's a brilliant, brilliant stand up in the UK and he's like a veteran political stand up and did this absolutely wonderful show about his relationship with his father and about his father's love of opera. Mm-hmm. And he talks about his father and his family. And he's quite honest and frank about it. He's very honest and frank about it. But there's a bit where he talks about his brothers and sisters. And he said, I don't know what my brothers and sisters would say about this. You'll have to see their shows. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, obviously not performers. This has really amused me. And like, I think it is, you know, I always think like with stand-up. And one of the reasons why I'm not too worried about my mum and my sister is, you have to take it with a pinch of salt. It's somebody chatting about their own head and yeah. their own take on the world, really. It's not anything else. Yeah. And similarly, if anyone's written a bitchy song about you, it's really about their own inability <laughs> to be able to be kind to someone. If you've been doing this since you were, what, like, 17, is that? Yeah, yeah. yeah if you've been doing or, like, this, younger, really. Or, but, but, you know, surely, surely your, your mother must have known this was coming at some point. Ha! <laughs> Well, she well this one of the reasons like one of the reasons I wanted to talk about was in the past she's always said to me, "Oh, do you talk about me? Are you, are you going to yeah. talk about me?" Like she really wanted me to. <laughs> so yeah, it's funny. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's you don't. I mean, God, I can't, I can't, I can't imagine going to a comedy show and watching a seventeen-year-old talk about her mom. <laughs> well, it sounds like the worst thing in the world. Yes. And when I first started, I never wanted to talk. Yeah. I didn't want to be like. Because all I really had in my life was like stuff I didn't want to talk about. That was what was that a hard. what was a, a set like from a seventeen-year-old Josie? I would come on and I would say, "Hello, my okay. name is Frank LaBeouf and I play for Chelsea." And then <laughs> I would just stand still because I would think that was hilarious. <laughs> and then I would just do like talking about like plant. I, I had this. Ter- it was really bad. Sounds like anti-comedy so far. Yeah, it was a little well. I don't even think it was that sophisticated. It was yeah. just any old weird stuff. Yeah. So I'd cut, sometimes I'd say, my wife, she's so fat. She's in danger of having a heart attack. I love her. I love her. I don't want her to die. And I'd just do that. Oh, no. When I was like a 17-year-old girl and that's like, way, that's sad. I was pretending that's, to be an old man. Yeah. And like, it's not funny at all. That's, that's sad. Yeah, just sad. Yeah. But I think at the time I thought it was hilarious that this like, little kid was saying all these pretend sure. things. And I used to do like just long weird rants and anything I really I just liked any silly idea that I could muck around with you just like the idea of being being on stage in front of people it sounds like absolutely and I loved it and I I didn't really want to talk about things that had actually happened I wanted to make up silly ideas and play with them so that's all I did whereas now I think I do that but I try and integrate it into my experience too or I try and take something I've experienced and take it all the way out Mm -hmm. into silliness a bit more you know was was it an idea that you know that being autobiographical that drawing on your own experience was was kind of a the failure of creativity in a sense oof um i hope not (laughs) i think it's much more that i just felt like this is what i really wanted to say and had to say and wanted to try because it was something that seemed really frightening and really unusual and really not what I had done and also I didn't feel like I had anything new to say about politics I'd been writing these shows about British politics for a few years and 
and again it was all about my own experiences mm-hmm. of British politics but I just felt like I'd be saying the same thing again I'd be saying like those guys are terrible let's try not to have them anymore <laughs> you know and so I just um, yeah I, um, I think it just sort of felt like an imperative thing like I really wanted to do it and felt like I had to do it was was there any ever any sort of you know st- stage fright or any any you know that's I mean there's so many things standing between people and and getting up on stage or so many things standing between people and you know seeing what they want to do to 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 fruition I mean was there ever an well, idea that say, it was something you couldn't do No if there's anyone listening and you feel like you've always wanted to do stand up comedy but it's different for you and I wouldn't understand it's much harder for you because blah yeah. blah blah or you you want to do it but it's never going to happen my only advice would be do it yeah. like really do it it's one of the most accessible types of performance mm. and if you really want to do it you must do it like there's no like don't wait around it's no one's going to throw a glass bottle at you really no one's going to punch you in the face like you are fine it's not going to be that bad yeah. and you're going to love it or you're not going to love it but you'll feel like you understood what you wanted and like I think um, with stand up I always because I started so young and as soon as I found it I just loved it mm. I always wanted to do it I've never been in a position well I suppose I've had confidence wobbles definitely yeah. and definitely like you just get it. There's so much rejection and so much failure and difficulty that you do have wobbles with your confidence where you're like, like at the moment I feel like, fuck, what am I ever going to write a new show about? Can I even write a new show? Oh God, like I've been so lucky with other mm-hmm. shows. What if this next show is really badly received? What if I do really badly? What am I going to do? You know, you do feel all that same stuff, but like, I don't know. Like part of what's great about stand up is it's yours and it's your treasure and your yeah. I was telling my friend this, it's your treasure and it's your joy. Like it belongs to you. You've got this wonderful possession hmm. that is such a delight and it's it's your treasure and your joy. Like you can always make more of it, you know? You can you can do more gigs and you can build more and write more and like it's right there and like it's always there. And some people do, won't be good at it, right? I mean, some people are probably just not. But that doesn't built mean they might it. not get l- yeah. like joy Something out of it. Out of it. Sure. And you can find a little stream. Yeah, like that's what's nice as well is you can find your level and you can yeah. find a place. And if you're a woman, your level will never be what you'd like it to be mm-hmm. because of the way. No, I'm kidding. But like, um, you can find your glass ceiling. You can find your glass ceiling yeah. exactly. Oh, nice. You nice. can find your that's specific nice othering message. level. Yeah. But um, but genuinely, like. You know, you don't have to be that good at it. Yeah. You know, what's it matter? You know, you could go on, you could be fucking dire. But if you come off it thinking, I love that. Like, one of the great things about the open mic scene in London in the past, and I think so, I hope so still now, is you used to get genuine weirdness. You mm. used to get a guy who would come on and tell terrible stuff for like 15 minutes at a stretch that was obscure and wrong and ranting and he would do that on the same open mic gigs to four people to five Dutch tourists for 10 years and he'd be happy that's his you know there's a woman who used to play the swanny whistle and and Mm -hmm. wear this bridesmaid's dress that she had bits that she'd sewn and cut off so she could like rip panels out of it she had an she had a clear idea Mm -hmm. say that about her oh yeah she had a toy puppet that she talked to she was in her 50s Uh and she would just do it because that was her act yeah and she wanted to do her act 
And there was this magician who was a very unusual man. He's dead now. It's really sad. He was sort of in his 70s and his name was Ray Presto. And he was quite an <laughs> odd guy, right? He, like, he wasn't entirely like a sweet-hearted... I think, you know, younger people always can put old people sure. in these boxes of like faux innocence sure. you know but at the same time he did his very odd sort of comedy magic end of the pier in his suits and he had signed photos that he would give people of him as Ray Presto and like that's brilliant. You know? Well, I think what's beautiful about that, you know, I, I, I can I don't know, I keep keep being the, the 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 pessimist in this conversation, but you know, I think the, the, on the at the same time, you could just see that as sort of like a little sad that you know that this is just this why is, is it like, sad though? Getting out of the house, you got a hobby. Yeah, I guess I guess that you know that's that open mic is is kind of the high point for them. And also, you get better. Yeah. And also some people get inexplicably brilliant. <laughs> like sometimes someone will be terrible for five years and then you go and see them and you're yeah. like, did you see that show? No, of course I didn't see that show. That show was incredible. Yeah. Like people get better. You always get better. Yeah. Even if you're the worst, weirdest, shittest comedian in the world. Like I feel like I've got better. <laughs> like, um, if, you're, if you're a terrible comedian such as yourself, yeah, you exactly. can still get better. You'll get yeah. better. Yeah. I, and I think as well like, it's I the only comedians I really would rag on would be people who steal stuff off other people or people who were just mean spirited yeah. bitter boring bastards trying to offend but actually just not being interesting but that haven't been said there's loads of like edgy comedians that I sure. think are good and stuff but. Are, are, are you able to, to gauge those breakthrough moments I mean is it pretty clear when you, you've reached another level? Oh, I don't know, actually. I don't. I don't know. I think because when I was younger, I genuinely had a few times in my life where I felt like I was standing beside a frosted glass door sure. and I knew that on the other side there was a step up. You're on the precipice. Yeah. yeah. And but I wasn't there yet, but hopefully yeah. that's where I was going. And, and then the other year, I... I felt quite nice. I felt quite like, oh, I think I've got to a certain level now. Mm. But no, you don't. You don't know. I suppose people sometimes are quite nice and they'll sort of say, yeah. oh, I really like this show. Or, like, I thought this show was better, but you just have to hope that you're going to get better. Yeah. And, and, and I guess perpetually try something new. I mean, it sounds like that's a big part of what the show was. It's just, just kind of a completely different, approach to comedy yeah because people really want to put you in a box yeah so anything you can do to stop that is a really good idea i think um i mean it's it's, it's an interesting thing about comedy too is it's um you know because you're, you're saying it's it, it's it, in a sense it's really easy and I, and I guess that's right that there's no um that there's kind of literally nothing standing between you and and getting on that stage but um it's one of the few things I think that's described as being the both the easiest and the hardest thing in the world all at the same time. Yeah, I, but I think it's more just it suits some people and other people it does not. Yeah. So, so some people it just will always seem nightmarish. Yeah. Whereas to me, there's always the elements of fun and the fact that you're laughing and that on the whole you're trying to make people happy, and that to me is not frightening or bad. Like. There's so many things in the world where you're like, where people are risking their lives, yeah. you know, or at risk of real heartbreak 
where it's like after you've been doing stand up a while like yeah it's sad to do badly especially when you know your shit especially when you know you've done a bad performance <laughs> or you know you could have done better but really if you die it's a bit upsetting but you don't really care because you're like ah fuck it yeah I'll do it again tomorrow and it should be alright you know so you just kind of it doesn't feel that threatening because you can't really have an experience that's so bad that you'd give up do, do you feel like that there must be a, a kind of a sense of catharsis you know if you're getting up there and you're talking about something really personal if you're mm-hmm. talking about heartbreak and and you're talking about potentially kind of a really bummer subject matter that if people are sort of going on this journey with you that they've got to kind of come out like feeling a little bit better at the end oh i hope so i do and i think it's nice to be watching something and to feel like you can relate yeah and i think it does help uh in that way yeah although i've also had somebody tweeting me very angrily saying that their boyfriend broke up with them because of my show because <laughs> there's a bit in my show where i talk about this bob dylan lyric where he says i've been shooting in the dark too long when something's not right it's wrong which i actually don't even know if i feel as categorical as that i feel like maybe you're in a weird place you know yeah. now but i was talking about it on stage and i talk about it on stage and this woman said that her boyfriend had broken up with her oh. afterwards it's really it's I mean it's 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 Bob Dylan's fault when you really get right down yeah, to it. To do you were ju- you were just the messenger. Yeah, I just I yeah. was just a catalyst. Like I just brought that song quicker to him. He might have heard it the next week. That's su- that's such an interesting thing though. I mean it's it, uh, you know obviously it's a bummer that you caused a breakup but 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 at the same time like you really made a connection with somebody <laughs> yeah. in a in a kind of a bummer of a way but you really like you got through to somebody yeah that someone was like I want to change my life and like that's another reason why I just I'm so in love with stand-up I'm besotted with it because like co- um, political stuff if you're really talking passionately and sharing your views and your experiences mm-hmm. I think if people do identify with you a bit it can be a real tonic you know it can really help people have a bit of strength to go on and those are people who are doing things better than just a woman chatting in a mic you know there's yeah. people that like run activist projects and sure. do useful things so like I think it can really get get to people in a really nice way that maybe they don't necessarily you know just watching TV or a film wouldn't there's the live element that I think does it and the persuasive element of humour and the trust mm-hmm. element of humour as well so what did you I mean, what what are the takeaways? What did you what did you figure out about yourself in that relationship that you didn't know before you started sitting down and, and workshopping the show and putting jokes together? Um, well, I suppose it's all stuff that I knew about myself yeah. already, but just sure that I played out even more. I suppose what I learned is that I suppose I have to be a bit when you have to be a bit kinder with yourself with your own shortcomings, like. And I don't say this in the show, but like maybe you are somebody that for whatever reason feels so broken and sad that you're going to say something that both of you know is bad for a while. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't be too hard on yourself for that. You shouldn't be like, well, I know now that I was wrong and I'll never do it again. Yeah. Like, I think it's very hard to be that categorical with yourself about relationships, especially because things take however long they take and you are wherever you are. Like, you're not. I always say, like, you're not magic, you're just a person. So I think I I sort of see myself with a bit kinder eyes than I used to. I'm a little bit more like, no, my behaviour is not exemplary and I will have regrets and I will have done things badly sometimes and that's fine. 
And it's and you know and 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 a lot of things in hindsight look like you're falling into the same traps, but I mean every situation is is different. Yeah, and you learn things every time, yeah. and you're slightly better in different ways that you don't acknowledge. Yeah, and I think I also learned that like I don't know something about change about how sometimes it is just about waiting things out. And that is really hard for me because I'm very impatient. Yeah. And because I want everything straight away. I want everything all at once. Definitely. And Well, um, the, the process of, of working on a show, in, in a sense, for a year must, must, must have made you a little more patient. Well, I don't know because if it, it's not like developing a film or something. It's not a two-year gestation yeah. period. Sometimes it's a two, three-month gestation. Yeah. Well, it's a year's gestation period, really, but it's only two, three months writing period. But you do, and you get right out there and you, and you try things out. Yeah. And there's some instant gratification. Yeah. yeah. And you're changing it every day, so you're yeah. in it and of it. Yeah. You know, it's not so much like writing a book, sure. I guess. Sure. Because not only, not only, I mean, you know, not only is that a, you know, a year, two or five year long process, but then there's that, this is the, the thing that keeps coming back. You know, every time I sit down and talk to somebody who had, had a book come out that it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm on to the next book. I'm beyond yeah. that. It's, you know, it's been six it months since I finished ago. the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I, I've got a funny thing at the moment where I'm trying to write some scripts, but the scripts are based on uh, some films I made three years ago. And so mm-hmm. I'm trying so hard to get my head into that space. Yeah. And it's really tricky because, like, I've, yeah, you move on. And also when you're writing these shows year on year, yeah. your feet are firmly placed in the forwards, you know. You're always like, okay, what next? I've done that. I did that. And so, yeah, it's harder to dwell, I think. I, I've, ta- I've talked to artists, um, you know, a lot of, like, comics artists and, and cartoonists who are have revisited these ideas that they had when they were like a kid like oh, you know yeah. like decades ago and, and and it's such an amazing thing to me because you know I think about it and I just you know I'm, I'm one of those people who can't listen to my voice <laughs> on audio and I, I, I can't go back and read anything I've written and I just think like anything I did five years ago I was such an a dumbass yeah, back then. Now, why would you possibly want to go back and revisit that? But it's, but it is kind of interesting trying to get back into your headspace. Yeah, and I, uh, there's a really lovely bit of poetry that Simon Munnery, who's a kind of yeah. wonderful cult stand-up yeah. figure, yeah. he wrote this thing about you look back and you see that you're an idiot then and you're an idiot now sure. and you'll be an idiot in the future. Yep, yep. But I, I think if you listened back to your old stuff, you'd be pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Like I was just watching an old show of mine because I wanted to send somebody a link to part of it and I had to find out where in it was the part. And I was actually quite stunned. I was like, oh, this is more complicated than I thought it was. Yeah. Like, Who is oh, this beautiful, amazing woman yeah. on stage who's this, here? Who is this brain? <laughs> and I think it's like, actually, yeah, it's interesting. I always had this idea that at 20, I was going to write a short story. And at 30, I was going to rewrite it and 40. But yeah. I forgot to do it at 20 and 30. Sure. So I have to do it now, I guess. And yeah. Do it later. Still, though, 17. I mean, I I can't even imagine. I, I can't imagine having done something in so public a space at 17. I and mean, this is like, you know, this is the thing, the thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately, you know, is how different my life would be and my relationships would be if, like, Facebook was around oh, when I was, yeah. a, you know, a 10 year old, if I was out there and doing these, the, these things in the world and you were, yeah. you know, 17 is, is pretty young to be but out there. But there was no Facebook and there was no Twitter yeah. and there was no one recording it and there was no okay. way to put it if you did record it. Sure. So lots of ways it was a very sheltered space. Yeah. But also I didn't have a clue 
that yeah. it was in public. To me, public. <laughs> but I think it, you really don't understand. Like, really. Like, only now, vaguely, am I getting a proper concept of what te- doing television does to your life and does to you. <laughs> you know, really. Yeah. And I think it only comes from experience. And at 17, like, public to me meant showing off at school with no consequences, really. So, you know, you do these things and you just kind of think, the world is benign you don't really judge between a gig you do a gig in front of five people in yeah. a barn and you do a gig in front of 700 people and you're nervous as nervous for both of those you know mm-hmm. and you're as excited for both of those and it means the same to you and so I just didn't I think actually as well some like I run this charity with my friend and it's working with young people and you're so articulate at 17 you're so bold and brazen and cool mm-hmm. and actually there's no it's a good time to get stuff done. Yeah. It's a really good time. Like, actually, between 17 and 21, I was probably at my intellectual best, you know, like, <laughs> really, really, like, studying and yeah. working. And, you know, it's it's a nice time. You got you haven't got experience bogging you down to contradict things or make you timid. You know, like, now what makes me timid is my experiences of rejection and failure. Yeah. You know, or my fears that now I'm so old, I don't have time to do things anymore, or people will judge me or write me off. Whereas when you're 17, you're like, I'm going to do everything, you know? I know, but at the same time, though, like, I know, like, when I was 17, I was very resistant to this idea, um, you know, like, there's, like, the 10,000 hours thing, you know, there's Mm. obviously, like, you you have to, especially being a stand-up, that you have to put in your time. Was that not... Did you just think that you were going to kind of get up on stage and that you would be a, a tremendous success? No, I think I just thought I was putting in my time. Yeah. But I think also I was very lucky. I was yeah. very unusual at that time. Like, it's only since then that more younger people started mm-hmm. doing stand-up. Point. And it's only every now and again. Like, literally in yeah. Britain, it used to be every four or five years. And I think that it's quite possible that that's the case although they have all these comedy for kids workshops and mm-hmm. gigs now so there's loads of these precocious terrifying middle class children <laughs> but um, not that I'm of whom you were one yeah, of you course, know, of not too long ago I was lower lower yeah. lower middle class it's very different but um, I um, uh, uh, yeah there was only every few years would there be yeah. a, com- a child comedian and what happens is when you see another child comedian you get really excited yeah. So as a grown up so a couple of comedians were very nice to me because they'd started at 16 mm-hmm. now whenever I see anyone who started at 16 I'm like I started at 16 oh let me yeah. help you whenever I can so it's like a secret club but also like um I was very lucky because I entered new actor competitions and one of them was televised on BBC televised on BBC One when we had like five channels and a few cable channels that no one watched and so it was a big deal to be televised on the biggest channel sure and I won that and I was that was like my 16th gig or something it was just pure luck and I think novelty the novelty of having a 17 year old girl meant that I seemed to have something different yeah even though actually I was a fucking idiot chancer and so because I was so lucky at the very start I think it imbued in me a sort of sense of like oh my god it's happening you know which has been good and bad for me because it makes you think that you're fated or magic and you're not yeah and you're not better than anyone else, really. But it sounds, it sounds like at least early on you were kind of keenly aware that, like, that it was a novelty, that this was part of your strength, that the fact that you were a 17-year-old was kind of part of the charm. Mm. Yeah, although maybe I think I think I could see that now. I think yeah. when I was a kid, I was like, no, no, I don't want to be a child comedian. I'm a yeah. real comedian. Yeah. 
And I think I was just, I think also, I love, I love my life and I love having varied, rich, exciting experiences. Yeah. And stand-up has always given me that. And so when I first started, it was meeting other comedians. It was going to the Edinburgh Fringe on my own to gig when I was 17 and being given free drinks and free food and still things that I really love, like food, travel, drink. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the best. After a decade and a half, it, it hasn't gotten old at all? No. no. Like, like, um, uh... Jesse Thorne. Yeah. My head was telling me that I only know two Jessies. My head was like, I'll tell you the other Jesse. Jesse Thorne um, has been so kind to me and uh, took me on this cruise. Yeah. Yeah. The next fun cruise. Yeah. It was the greatest fucking thing of my professional career that somebody was like, hey, um, we'll take you on this cruise. It's. I'm sorry, there's not really mm-hmm. money in it, but mm-hmm. you'll get free buffets day yep. and night. You'll be hanging out with the best favourite comedians of yours. Yeah. You'll do a gig to the nicest crowd in the world, and then you'll get to go to tropical beaches. And it's like, uh, okay, I when I was 16, people told me that this would never that I would never be a comedian, and yeah. that you know, life wasn't how I thought it was, and that I needed to live in the real world. But but you still want to you know diversify a little bit. I mean, you're you're writing some some scripts. You still want to yeah. try to try new experiences in and around comedy yeah uh, yeah and I'd like to do as much as possible and it, it is very frustrating to do uh, it's very frustrating in the long term when you've had this way that you can write shows perform them yeah. get feedback yeah. have success in that way yeah. get crowds to come which is like the most wonderful thing and then you're like right cool well what I'd love to do is I'd like to make this film I'd like to write this book I'd like to do this mm-hmm. and literally you know I've I've written a book that in the end didn't come to fruition because all the editors kept leaving and then I wrote this film that didn't come to fruition because of money and I've written so many TV pilots that didn't come to fruition and it is one of those things where you just have to suck it up and you just have to be like okay yeah. alright um, this is not what I was hoping but I will do another six months work and hopefully that you know well and, and but you do at this point I mean it, you know since your life has been so based around this schedule of this one show you have mm. to figure out six or however many months in advance whether or not that what your year is going to look like basically right yes completely and at the moment i'm sort of really in a place like that because i'm like i don't know what will happen next year for me and i don't know what i can do is it is it dependent on whether or not you figure out the hook i don't know what that means uh figure out what you know i mean you know you've been doing shows based around a certain theme figure out what the the theme of the show is going to be yeah maybe I mean, if I did suddenly... I think I will start in the next few months thinking, oh, God, I need to get back on stage. I need to get back and write him. But also, it just depends on on me, what I can come up with in in other things and how well pitches go and stuff like that, really. You've always got about seven or eight things that if one of them comes off, everything will be all right. And usually what happens is none of them come off and you just start another seven or eight things. I've got got to ask what your boyfriend... Like what, what, he's he's here in the states with you because you're doing the show about your 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 old relationship. I mean, that's got to be a little bit weird. Is that have you have you discussed this? Have you discussed the possibility that like he could become a show someday? Oh shit! No, and I think I don't think it would. Is the weird yeah. thing because I think it's just I don't know. I feel like this was something I had to get out of my system. Yeah. And I don't really think... Although I think he knows that I would talk about him. And we were talking about it today because we were saying that, like, I just talk about my life and that is what being a comedian is. 
And I do talk about him a bit, but it's all nice, really. It's all just like, we play this funny sure. game. My boyfriend said this yeah. silly thing. My boyfriend does this. So I think I think he sort of has accepted that he probably will be part of stuff. But, God, unless he's a real cunt. <laughs> I can't imagine writing a show where I'm yeah. like, and I'll tell you, you know. So I think he's all right. I think he's got off well because yeah. the last guy took the slack. Sure. But I'm happy to do that because what I find in relationships is I go out with someone, they treat me really badly. Then after we break up, they're like, oh, I was a really bad boyfriend. Yeah. I'll have to learn some lessons. Then sure. their new girlfriend, they're really nice to. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, I learned all these lessons yeah. from our relationship. And I'm like, this is not, I am not a fucking. You're the test. Tre- you're yeah, the I'm the test testing ground. <laughs> and it's happened to me yeah. too many times. I'm yeah. sick of it. I go back and, and, and talk to their exes afterwards. I'm sure that they got the same exact thing. I hope sure. so, but their Instagrams do not seem to show that. No, no, no. Wait, wait for their stand-up comedy shows. Of course, of course, yeah. Gotta wait for that. There you go, that was Josie Long. So much fun. Thanks so much to her for taking the time to do that. Uh, slightly weird circumstances for that conversation, but I, I don't know that I've ever done an episode of the show where the circumstances weren't at least slightly weird uh she was in town for about five shows out here in new york our our mutual friend jesse thorne connected us uh we we so we were gonna meet up at a coffee shop and then she emailed me to tell me uh that she really wanted to go to the beach this was a few months ago so it was still really cold it was kind of I i think it was kind of on the cusp between fall and winter and if you know New York City at all you know that that is not a good time to go into the Atlantic Ocean but she was determined to do it she asked me if I wanted to meet up with her at Coney Island I said of course not if you know New York City at all you know that absolutely nothing say for Coney Island itself is close to Coney Island so uh, we we ended up meeting up at the place that she was subletting for a few days she as I mentioned was just in the ocean so she had gotten a cold she was losing her voice you can probably hear that throughout the duration of the of of the conversation she had a comedy show to do in like about an hour but was very very kind to take the time to do it really glad we did uh really enjoyed that conversation if you're if you if you liked what you heard check out our website it's josielong.com she's she's uh got a podcast uh josie long's lost treasure at the black heart you can find that over at itunes uh really really enjoyed the talk she's very very funny highly highly recommend checking out her videos and all of the other multimedia things that you can get on the World Wide Web. Thanks so much to her. Thanks again to Jesse for setting that up. Uh, thanks to Brian, as always, for editing the show together. Thanks to everybody at the Boing Boing Podcast Network. If you like this show, many other fine shows you can check out over at boingboing.net. Uh, check them out over at iTunes. And while you're over at iTunes, please please take the opportunity to, to rate the show if you liked what you heard. Uh, we That's how we get the show out there. That's how we get uh, that's how we get people to come on. We, sh- we show them all of the many fine five-star reviews that we have on iTunes and they say of course of course we will let Barack Obama be on your program look at all of the wonderful five-star reviews that you have you're clearly doing a great job uh keep it up now enjoy your interview with the president of the United States uh what else uh tumblr 
riylcast.tumblr.com is the first and best place to get all of your riyl related information if you've got any feedback it's riylcast at gmail.com like us on facebook that's about all i got uh got a lot of good shows coming up a lot of good interviews in the can stick around we'll be back just about this time next week with another episode of riyl